Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Monday, March 30th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. And on today's financial show, we're going to take a look back at the recent Million Acres and Mogul member event, talk about some of the hot topics of discussion there in the world of real estate investing. And we're also going to take a look at REIT Taubman Centers. Uh, the Real Estate Investment Trust is telling tenants that rent is due while insurance companies are trying to figure out their own way through today's crisis. And because we're glass half full guys here on Industry Focus, you know us. We've got four stocks that investors should keep on their radar through these turbulent times. Joining me as always this week, remotely as we all are, certified financial planner, Matt Frankel. Matt, how's everything going? Pretty good. I, I, I've been used to this remote thing for a few years now. Are you, are you starting to get used to it a little bit? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know that I'm used to it. I think I'm, I'm really impressed with how, how, uh, how it works. It's a nice little setup. I mean, nothing's perfect, but it's a really nice alternative uh, knowing that we have this available uh, when we need it, you know, I mean, I think um, it, it, this, this whole thing's sort of a monkey wrench, and I think everybody's plans and, and routines and, and work schedules and whatnot. But it's really nice um, to, to be able to keep some semblance of normalcy here, man. I, I'm 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 happy that we can still do this. Yeah, we're we're both very fortunate that we're we're still you know plugging away. Yeah, you know, and that's golly. I mean, I'm sure you're, you know, you with a family at home every day, and everybody just trying to kind of work through this. You, you do. We we reiterate with our daughters every day. You know, listen. I mean, we we are in a good situation. We are fortunate. There are a lot of other people that are not as fortunate right now. It's just always worth remembering. This is a trying time, not only nationally but really globally. I mean, this is something that has just taken the whole world by storm, unfortunately, and. Um, it is. Uh, it's not something that's going to end anytime soon. I think it's something that's going to probably be a little bit more drawn out than than some people might hope. But by the same token, you know, and I was thinking about this over the weekend. I think a lot of good will ultimately come from this. I mean, I think there's a lot of innovation and ideas, new ways of thinking, hopefully empathy and understanding that come from all of this. Uh, you know, goes back to that glass half full thing, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think there will be a lot of good that comes through it. I mean. It's a great time to you know get some more exercise compared to what you normally do, and I'm starting a new diet plan. You probably see my shake bottle in the in the video. <laughs> nice. Um, it, it, it's the, those are best for times when you can just kind of put your life on pause, and that's you know we got the opportunity to do that for the most part. Yeah. Um, I heard a bunch of reports that pollution's way down around the world, and you know things like that. So there is some silver lining here. Yeah, and you know what? Another thing I noticed, and this is just neither here nor there, I guess, but. I, I, I just noticed that our, our bank account isn't draining quite as quickly as it usually does. There's just not as much spending going on. That that much is is clear. I think just from looking at the state of uh, of, of you know the economy. But but man, you take a look at your checking account, and all of a sudden you realize, dang, we just we're, we're not really spending a whole heck of a lot of money right now. So you know what we're doing? We're saving it. Yep. Well, investing more. More precisely, well, that too. That too. We're investing and we're saving and we're, uh, you know, trying to plan for plan for the future, right? You always always got to figure something something's coming down the pike here that uh, that'll make you wish you were prepared. And so, if you are fortunate enough to to see that maybe your bank account isn't 
being drained as quickly, well, hopefully you're able to put some of that money aside and put a reserve together and maybe get some of that money working for you because it certainly is a good time to get it working. Although we were talking about this uh, before we started taping it, it's really difficult to make, make sense of this market today and <laughs> what's going on. Yeah, I mean, there's, oh, it's going to be a bumpy road for a while. And here, here's kind of, we'll, we'll get into what we're talking about in a minute, but here's kind of one I want to leave you. I, I described the market volatility and the reason for it to somebody recently in this way. About two weeks ago, Elon Musk tweeted out that the coronavirus um, panic is dumb, if you remember that. I do remember that, yeah. Um, then if, a little while later, the governor of California came out and said that, that he's expecting a million deaths or something like that in his state alone. Yeah. Even, even though that there's a, pretty much a full lockdown in all the major cities. So the truth is probably somewhere between this is dumb and there's a million deaths in one state. The fact that we don't know where in the middle it is, is the reason the markets are going so crazy. Just nobody knows at this point. If you tell everybody this is going to end May 1st, you're going to have X number of deaths, X amount of unemployment, X, you know, then it would be a little more stable. But we just simply have no idea at this point. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's right. And and given that um, given that way of thinking, I mean, I think it's fair to assume that we'll probably see more of this type of behavior in the market. I, I think really for the foreseeable future. So uh, you know, it, as as we always as we always espouse here with our foolish style of investing. I mean, we look at things with a much longer timeline, three to five years, if not longer investing in good businesses. I mean, I think these are the times that really, um, you know, support that that philosophy. And, and, and I, I would encourage folks out there, don't worry about calling a market bottom. Don't try to figure, is this the bottom? Are things only going to go back up now? Because number one, chances are it's probably not. But even if it is, um, it, it, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. You want to just keep on finding good businesses. And, and, and I, sh I should, um, you know, say that Elon Musk did walk back his comments a little bit, and he's kind of, you know, helping in the effort now instead of kind of just, you know, poking fun at it. So, yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, I think a lot of us probably initially. I mean, I certainly, I, I know in the very beginning of this, I just, it was hard to really wrap your mind around something could be this serious. I mean, I think right. A lot of us so, felt like, oh, it, no. g given those two extremes, it's probably closer to like a serious situation than this is dumb. So, yeah. And, and well, I, I'm pretty sure everybody's on board. Everyone gets the seriousness of this at this point. It's yep. just the point is we don't know exactly how serious it is. And the good lesson there, there's a great investing lesson there, is you you need to keep an open mind and be willing to change your mind when the facts change. And as soon as more facts come to light and the picture becomes more clear, you need to be open to changing your mind and and, uh, and, and maybe taking on a new way of looking at things. And so hopefully that's what people are doing here. And uh, continue to be safe out there. But enough about the state of affairs today. Let's talk about what went on recently. Matt, you all had your Million Acres and Mogul member event. Now, this was something that was initially set to take place in California. Uh, obviously, plans changed, and uh, thankfully, you all were still able to hold the event virtually. How did everything go? It was good. We actually canceled it, uh, the in-person version, about a month before um so I, I say we, we canceled before it was trendy to cancel stuff. We were kind of industry <laughs> leaders there. And, and at the time, people didn't understand why we were canceling. And then as it got closer, it was, yeah, oh. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was supposed to be in San Diego. It was supposed to be my first time in California, actually. I've never oh, been. Um, but, you know, the times being what they are, it was definitely the right call. Um, 
we did ended up doing a virtual event. Uh, my part was pretty much just going over our REIT recommendations and kind of the state of the REIT industry. Because we keep telling members how during tough times, real estate performs pretty well. And that just simply has not been the case. Sure. Um, you know, real estate's a bit, you know, it's, it's a physical place. People have to physically go to it for it, it to make sense as a business. And people aren't going anywhere right now. And it's just the situation no one, including our members, could have planned for. But one of the most encouraging things I heard from members, because it was pretty much a live Q&A, um, is that people weren't like mad that the, our recommendations have done poorly. They weren't, you know, you guys suck. You, you recommend bad <laughs> stocks. It, it's been more what's the best thing to buy right now, which is such a great attitude. Yeah. It's been more, you know, out of your, you know, the, I think we made 11 recommendations so far. You know, out of those, which are the best ones to buy? Which ones should we be loading up on and taking advantage? And that was overwhelmingly the the attitude of the members. So that was definitely an encouraging sign to see. That is a very encouraging sign. I mean, that that's right in line with that Warren Buffett mentality of being a net buyer of stocks, right? I mean, that's if you if you're going to be buying more than you're selling, right? I mean, then you need to look at these times as the opportunities. So that's really, I mean, that that says a lot. I think about. Um, you know the job that you guys are doing there, and setting setting appropriate expectations and setting that right investing mentality. Uh, so so good work there to you and the team. Uh, now specifically, you know we we were talking about this before we started taping. You mentioned that hotel REITs have been a real uh, hot topic of conversation lately. And I, I mean I, I I'm not exactly sure why, but I'm hoping that you'll tell us what is the interest there specifically with hotel REITs. Well, for one thing, most most hotels are closed down right now. <laughs> right. Um, so hotels are. I, I talked about the uncertainty going on a little while ago, and how we just don't know how bad this is yet. And hotels are really bearing the brunt of that right now. Um, I mean, the hotel. Um, I, I just to name one. I recently bought a company called Ryman Hospitality Properties. I've mentioned them on the show before. Sure. Um, they own the Gaylord chain of hotels. The Gaylord is right there. In, there's one right there in D.C. I think you guys had Fool Fest there one year, um, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, or or somewhere near there. Right. Um, but it's right on the National Harbor. They have five Gaylord hotels nationwide that are just you know landmark properties. Um, they actually, I think three of them are actually the three biggest non-gaming convention centers in the country. So you know, big landmark properties. Um, they're closed right now. They were down to something like a single-digit occupancy rate. At which point, it, you know, it's probably costing them more to keep the places open than to just close them. Um, so they made this the painful but correct decision to close their properties indefinitely recently. Um, but they're a company that has a lot going for them in the long term. In other words, they have, I think, something like over six million room nights booked for the next few years because oh, wow. it's it's all this group business, like conventions, things that are planned years in advance. Yeah. So although pretty much they're losing all of their business for the next couple months, you know, it's a, it's a big long tailed business with like you know, I don't want to say guaranteed, but you know, reservations on the books. They're going to be just fine when this is done. Um, the Gaylord by you guys has the famous Christmas display. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not going to change. That's still going to bring in business. So w- when it comes to hotels, there's a couple. There's two big baskets I put them in. Those that are going to bounce back right away from this, like the Gaylords, I think, are a good example of that, that are going to bounce. As soon as we get the all clear, people are going to have conventions, group business. It could last for several months before anything starts to get back to normal. But at the end of the day, they will. And then you have hotels that, are pretty much not operational right now and rely on 
pretty much, you know, family travel, you know, short term, like short notice business travel, I would say that are going to have a tough time bouncing right back from this, especially with no future revenue already on the books. Um, So I would put hotels in two different categories, but and the casino hotels are another um, good example of, of things that are kind of, you know, have a lot of long term like business in the books because I mean no bigger convention centers in the world than in some Vegas casinos. Yeah. Um, so they have a lot of group business. Um, should be fine long term, and with all of them, it's a big question of do they have the money to make it through the tough times. Yep. So balance sheet analysis is so much more important than looking at you know, you know the last year's earnings. It's you know do they have enough liquidity you know meaning cash plus borrowing capacity. To get through these with with a company like Ryman, the answer is an unequivocal yes. They have something like a billion dollars in liquidity. They could shut down and pay their bills for the next year and a half if they had to. Um, with a company like like a casino company like MGM or Caesars or something like that, where they have a t- about ten billion dollars in debt, um, the answer might not be yes if it if it lasts significantly longer than expected. Sure. So, I'd say. See who can make it through the tough times and who should be just who sh- who has business on the books already when we get to the other side. Yeah, yeah, that's a good that's a good way of looking at it right there. I mean, it, it's it's easy to forget about the balance sheet in the good times because they're good times, right? When you're growing that top line and the, even if you're not profitable, there's that promise of profitability because you got that top line driving it. Um, you got to have that liquidity. You got to have the resources to deal when uh, when the chips are down like they are now. Well, let's let's talk a little bit more about about that in, in real estate investment trusts because we we saw the headline this morning that another uh, REIT here domestically, U.S. mall op- uh, owner Taubman, um, is is telling tenants that they're going to need to pay rent during this crisis. Uh, now for for background here, Taubman is a is a real estate investment trust around three billion dollar market cap, but but also Taubman has just been uh, we we just saw recently where Taubman is going to be acquired by Simon's Property Group, which is another company we've talked about here um, a number of times on the show, another real estate investment trust, one that you actually like, I believe. Yeah, I'm um, a big fan of Simon. Yeah, so so let's let's talk about this for a few minutes because you know this this runs a little bit counter to another story that came out late late last week when the Cheesecake Factory essentially said, "Listen, we're telling our landlords we we can't pay rent this month. We we don't have it." And and I mean that's that's of course understandable. I mean, restaurants are, are one of the markets here that that have taken the biggest uh, hit from all of this because their traffic went from. Uh, fairly normal to basically nothing, save uh, any takeout or delivery orders that they can um, manage manage to to scrounge up there, and, and and obviously it's become a little bit more of a competitive market with just that uh, in mind there. But but you know, Cheesecake Factory being a restaurant where people tend to go, right? I mean, that's that that's that casual dining space. That's not your quick service space. And and so with Cheesecake Factory getting up there and saying, hey, we're not going to be able to pay rent, so we're not going to do it. Well, you've got now. I mean, a landlord who's saying, hey, you know what? Tenants are going to need to pay their rent. And uh, just you know, one other point before I let you take it away here, uh, Taubman. There, there was one cheesecake factory in Taubman Properties, but I believe Simon had closer to something like thirty, maybe a little bit under yeah, thirty. Uh, 20, Twenty-eight. Yeah, so there is some exposure there. It's just so it's interesting to see the the two sides of this. You can certainly understand both sides of it, but but 
How, how are we supposed to look at this here with Taubman and Simon going forward? I mean, is it wise of them to take that firm of a stance as opposed to trying to be a little bit more understanding for, for what is kind of an unprecedented time? Well, we're definitely seeing a battle shaping up between landlords and tenants in the retail space right now. Um, and both of them have points. Um, so let's think from the perspective of like Taubman and Simon for first. Um, they still have mortgages on most of their properties. They still have to pay their, their loans. Absolutely. Ta- I mean, REITs are a debt-heavy business. They have they take out loans to finance the properties, so they still have they count on rent coming in to be able to pay those loans. So they still have to pay their mortgage. They think the tenant should still pay rent. On the other hand, and Cheesecake Factory number one could pay rent if they wanted to. I, I don't buy for a second that they can't pay their <laughs> April rent, especially at, especially now that the stimulus thing is passed and there's you know, forgivable loans for the purpose of paying rent. So there's an avenue, you think, at least a way they could get that well, cash together. I mean, the, that's... the business loans that are being given out are, are specifically for making payroll and paying rent obligations. Right. So I don't totally buy they couldn't pay rent if they wanted to. However, they have a point. In usually in your lease, whatever kind of lease you're talking about, if you're renting an apartment, if you're, you know, a, a business like Cheesecake Factory... There's usually some clause in your lease that says you'll have 24-hour unrestricted access to the property. Now, if you're located in a mall that's closed, you don't have access to the property. Yep. So, technically, if you could interpret it as the landlord is in violation of that lease. And I doubt Cheesecake Factory is going to be the only one that's going to you know, pull, a, pull a move like that. Yeah, I mean, um, now is the time to try to find any and every little letter of the law that you can to, to, right. to figure out and what I, options you have. I see some sort of compromise being reached. I, th- I see this as some sort of a standoff. You know, for example, maybe Simon says, okay, you don't have to pay your full April rent, but we, we expect half of it while we're closed down. Or, or something to that extent, where the, something both parties could financially live with that could you know help both of them get through this a little better. I yeah. could see something like that happening. Now, I, I haven't heard of any talks going on. I have no you know, factual basis to say that, but I could definitely see something like that happening. Well, yeah, I mean, something is better than nothing, right? I mean, it all boils down to I me mean, because if you think about, okay, well, the real estate investment trust, they have bills to pay. Well, they're making those payments to the bank. I mean, and then you could say, well, the bank is going to need to forgive folks for a certain stretch of time. And I mean, we're already seeing that certainly in the in the residential mortgage market. I mean, big banks are jumping in to say, hey, listen, we want to be a part of the solution here. And, um, you know, it's not a matter of if we get our money, it's just going to be a matter of when. And so we extend the timeline a little bit. See, I, I, I tend to agree with you there. It does seem like. It does seem like there is. Um, it seems like there's there's a way forward for everybody. Where again, something is better than nothing. But we go back to the liquidity conversation that we were just having there a minute ago because I think that's a really important point. I want to revisit, particularly when we consider here what Taubman is saying and, and therefore what Simons is saying as well. Um, I mean, do you view Simons as as a real estate investment trust with that liquidity? I mean, or is this a REIT that is going to be able to withstand? Um, any 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 type of a stretch? Oh, Simon's going to be just fine. Okay, they're they're one of the biggest REITs in the world of any kind. They at one point before the you know the e-commerce sent retail all plunging downward over the past few years. Simon was actually the biggest. Um, so they have a an A credit rating. They're one of the best credit ratings in the real real estate space. They can borrow, and they can borrow very cheaply. And we're talking, you know, they probably have a, a ten billion dollar borrowing capacity if they wanted it. So, 
they're going to be just fine. They don't need their tenants. If, if they missed out on a month or two of rent, they'd probably be fine. Yeah. I think it's more just the principle of it that, that Taubman's really talking about. That's understandable. And um, I do get that. Right. And now, I mean, Taubman now is, you know, financially tied to Simon. Sure. So they, they would be fine if they missed out on a couple of months of rent. They don't want to for <laughs> obvious reasons. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, not, they're not just being mean. They have a fiduciary obligation to their shareholders to maximize revenue and to look out for their shareholders. So, like I said, I see this being a, a bit of a standoff for a couple of months, but I see a kind of middle ground agreement being reached between uh, especially mall tenants. If you're a freestanding retail business, I guess you can make the argument that you still have access to the building even though you're closed. But if you're a mall retailer, and I mean, all of Simon's malls are closed right now. I'm pretty sure Taubman's the same. Yeah, I have um, to imagine. I mean, I th- I think I saw where maybe one of them uh, might have been open for a stretch, but yeah, it would strike me that they all probably have to be closed at this point. Well, okay. So speaking of standoffs, let's let's take this conversation from real estate investment trusts then to insurance companies because we were reading an article in the Wall Street Journal this morning that is talking about the pressure that is mounting on insurance companies to actually pay out for claims that are tied. To, to these issues with coronavirus, yet you know the, these are are not necessarily obligations that insurance companies are on the hook for. So you know we're seeing lawmakers and and regulators actually now getting out there and saying, listen, insurance companies, we know that maybe the coronavirus isn't necessarily something that's covered in the policy, but given what's going on today. Um, I mean, this is, you know, to use to use an old office favorite. I mean, it's essentially threat level midnight here. Uh, so, so we're we're asking you to to perhaps rewrite the language or make an exception here in trying to pay out or help at least in this liquidity crunch uh, in in regard to all the losses that a lot of these businesses are taking. I mean, there isn't really a lot of coverage it seems for uh, something of a pandemic nature. Yet here we are. And and so now it seems like we're kind of in that same position where I I don't even know. I mean, I guess the insurance companies could take a really firm stance here and just say no, but I don't know that that necessarily is the wisest thing to do. We're seeing some states trying to push forward some legislation, but that legislation is getting tabled because it is a very hot button issue. Uh, but we're seeing companies like Allstate, Berkshire Hathaway, uh, with with Geico and Progressive. I mean, we're seeing some companies step up and say, you know what, we're going to be just like the banks here. We want to be a part of the solution. Um, is that something we should worry about in regard to investing in insurance companies? I mean, is this something that could snowball out of control, do you think? Well, I'm not sure it's going to snowball out of control. We're, we're specifically talking about a type of insurance called business interruption insurance, for the most part. this is, yeah, I mean, there's some implications for like auto insurance and things like that, but for the most part, this is business interruption insurance, which companies buy. You know, let's say you have a restaurant, you would buy business interruption insurance to protect against you know, having to close down, yeah. which sounds like it would apply here. But a lot of these policies specifically have specific language to exclude virus-related closings. Um, now, the intention of these aren't necessarily for a pandemic like this. It's, you know, let's say you have a restaurant and your whole crew gets the flu and you have to shut down. Yeah, Your insurance probably wouldn't cover that. So there's a lot of, there's not necessarily gray area. The, the language is clear that it, it's not covered, but like you said, the question is, is that the right thing to do? And eh, 
<laughs> there's some gray area there. Well, there is a lot of gray area because I mean, it, it, I mean, insurance. Listen, having worked in the insurance business for at least a stretch, I mean, you know, insurance is funny. It's one of those things that we need as consumers. But I'll tell you, you see very quickly when you work at an insurance company, even the reputable ones. I mean, it, at most, they want to pay what they owe. They're not really all that keen on paying out money, though. Right. I mean, no, they definitely don't want to pay any more than they have to, um, and. This could be a very slippery slope if they have. To, I mean, there, how many businesses are closed right now? Yeah. So this could get really big really fast. So they don't really want to um, to pay anything more than they have to. And even if they, even if it's just one business, because then it'll lead to two, which will lead to a hundred. Yeah. So um, some states could force them to pay, though. That's one big issue to keep an eye on. Um, like you said, there's a lot of legislation trying to make it through the court, the the legal system right now. Um, state state congresses and things like that that could, you know, force people to force businesses to pay this. So it's a very fluid situation. I don't see it really doing much damage to the insurance sector, um, especially like I hate to keep bringing up the stimulus, but there's provisions to protect businesses that have, that have had to shut down right in the in the stimulus bill. So I see that taking some of the weight off of this issue, too. Yeah, and I mean the other thing to remember with insurance companies, which is far different than a restaurant, for example. But insurance companies, it's a pretty reliable stream of revenue, right? I mean, even if something is, I mean, we've hit a hit a, hit a, a bump here along the way, or I mean, you know, their their revenue stream might be interrupted. But I mean, generally speaking, insurance is a pretty reliable revenue stream, and so I mean, they they always have that to look forward to as well. So I mean, I guess yeah, I mean, it's a slippery slope for sure. It is by the same token nice to see. Um, a lot of those familiar names getting out there and saying, "Hey, we, we'd rather be part of the solution than try and than try and cause more problems." So um, again, just a testament to the time that we're living in right now. Uh, before we continue, uh, as a reminder for all of you listeners out there who are likely looking for more stock ideas, because if you're listening to this show, of course you're looking for more stock ideas. So why not check out our stock advisor service? You'll get stock recommendations from David and Tom Gardner every month. You get Best Buys Now. You get a whole lot more if you just go to if.fool.com, and you can take advantage of a special 50% discount for listeners. Make sure to check it out at if.fool.com. Okay, Matt, let's wrap up the show this week with a little bit of a different uh, twist here. We normally give our listeners one to watch. This week, we decided to give our listeners... Uh, four to watch. And these are actually four stocks we wanted to get on listeners' radars because we feel like these are four stocks that we think represent some uh, potential opportunity uh, during what is obviously a downtime in the market. Um, companies related to the financial space in one way, shape, or form. Um, and Matt, I'll go ahead and let you kick it off here. But what, what are a couple of companies that you think investors should be keeping a close eye on? Well, this is tough because I have 48 stocks on my watch list right now. <laughs> okay, we got to give us two. <laughs> so, um, just to name two in the financial sector, I'd say Bank of America is my favorite in the banking space right now. Um, they're down 37% year to date. Um, and for good reason. Their interest rates have fallen. The recessions lead to lower demand, higher defaults for on loans. But the bank's trading for uh, you know 80% of its book value, which is you know pretty crazy right now. That is that is wow, yeah. Um, and it's a well-run bank. It's not. This is not the same Bank of America that existed before the financial crisis. Uh, they have a pretty, a pretty nice loan portfolio. They've done a great job of increasing efficiency by embracing technology. Um, I love the management team. 
I it's one of my biggest financial holdings in my portfolio, and I don't see myself getting rid of it anytime soon. Okay. Uh, the other one is Square, which probably shouldn't surprise a lot of people. <laughs> Square has lost 34% in March alone. Yeah. Um, you know, I would say, wow, but what stock hasn't lost 30% in March right now? Um, <laughs> but they've, they've all lost a lot. <laughs> um, and, and another one for good reason. Um, Square's main business is small business. Small businesses are largely closed right now unless they're essential. Yeah. Um, so this will hurt them in payment volume. They have their Square Capital lending platform. People might not be able to pay back the loans. Um, but there's a lot of good things going for it. Square just got a banking charter, for example, that give, will also allow it to set up a low-cost deposit account platform that would help fund its loans. Um, the Cash App is still a phenomenal you know, piece of the puzzle. 24 million u- active users. Uh, the stimulus checks that are about to go out could actually be a big benefit to the Cash App. Yeah. Um, I was reading that the Cash App generally gets a big bump around tax refund time, for example. So they could see sense. like kind of a double tax refund bump this year. Um, and the uh, the new investment platform, Square said that um, their CFO said that the investing users generate two to three times as much revenue for Cash App than non-investing customers. Wow. So that's – and with the market like it is, there's a ton of investing opportunities. So I could see that being an uptick. And we've actually had this discussion where um, now that they've got the bank charter and Square Capital is a small business lending platform and small businesses are going to be in need, we could actually see Square having a big part in their recovery when this is all said and done. I couldn't agree with you more there. I think we've been both looking at that thinking the same thing. And I mean, part of that is is attributable to the network. And I think part of it is attributable to Jack Dorsey and just his general nature. And I, you know, I saw a tweet from Jack the other day. I mean, I think there's some concern with this, with the stimulus as it rolls out. I mean, there's going to be a delay in getting people money just in getting money from point A to point B. And well, you know, when a lot of these companies like Square and PayPal do that really well, they can do it a lot more quickly. And, and Jack was, was saying something to the extent of, hey, listen, we can get this money into people's hands more quickly, the people that need it most, let us help. And so it'll be interesting to see if, if, uh, if the government does look to companies like Square to help. Uh, but two very good picks there. I like that Bank of America and Square. I am going to run with uh, Ameris Bancorp, which is certainly a business I know listeners are familiar with because I've talked about it before here. Uh, you know, back in November 2010, when I first actually recommended Ameris for the Rising Stars Real Money portfolios that we did. Um, back in the day there. It was trading at that time around one-time book value. It had gotten a little bit below book value. This was the middle of the financial crisis, and it was just a little bank in southwest Georgia. Um, but they were very well managed, and they were they were you know seen by the FDIC as a part of the solution and kind of rolling up some of those failed institutions. Fast forward to today, I mean, this is unarguably a better and even stronger bank today. And, and I mean, we've essentially round-tripped back to those levels. I mean, the, the, the stock is trading at around one-time book value again. So I, I think if you're looking for some small bank exposure, this really is a good one. It's, re- it's well-run, it's well-capitalized, plenty of opportunity down the line as we see any kind of a recovery, no matter how long that, that takes, really. And, and I think you know the Fidelity acquisition that they just closed on recently is going to pay off very handsomely down, down the line as well. So Ameris Bank Corps is, is one that I'm going with there. And then another one to me, it's kind of a no-brainer, I guess, but uh, War on Cash, favorite MasterCard. I think anytime you see these shares in that 30 times earnings range, you need to be taking a closer look. 
And um, it, this this is a time we will look back on this time, I think, most certainly as a catalyst for digital payments in, in, in a cashless economy. I don't know that we're ever going to fully move towards that, but I think this is only going to accelerate that that uh, that that concept and, and more people uh, buying into the idea that, that you don't necessarily need cash to be able to spend money. A lot of different ways to do it now. And then it's just a little bonus there. I mean, Matt, you know my penchant for immersive, uh, immersive technology. And with MasterCard working on their uh, on releasing their augmented reality app for their rewards program, I just thought that was really cool. I like to see that kind of forward thinking, and um, I can't wait to fiddle around with that just to check it out. But uh, those are the four for you there. Then Bank of America, Square, Ameris Bank Corps, and MasterCard. Matt, we'll keep track of these, right? I mean, we might as well. Absolutely. We might even have another four next week. Yeah, maybe, maybe this is like the start of an industry-focused basket. Maybe we could look at <laughs> it that way. Uh, but hey, listen, that's going to do it for us this week, folks. Remember, you can always reach out to us on Twitter uh, at MF Industry Focus. You can drop us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. Again, thanks for bearing with us during this difficult time. I know the show quality is a little bit hit and, uh, hit and miss sometimes, but it's all going <laughs> remotely and over the internet. And, um, you know, it, it, Matt, we're doing our thing, but none of this works without Austin. Exactly, and, uh, and and we can't thank Austin Morgan enough for all of his talent here behind the glass, so to speak, the proverbial glass. Uh, even if uh, you know it's not behind the glass, maybe it's behind the Zoom. Maybe that's what we'll just say. It's the man behind the Zoom, Austin Morgan. <laughs> so, Matt, I appreciate you taking the time out of the day to join us again. It was great talking to you. Yeah, always. All right, but we'll see you next week. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks again to Austin Morgan for keeping the wheels turning for us as always. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.